What is up, everybody, to the nations worldwide? This is episode 72 of the Travel Couple Podcast, where we introduce you to couple travelers who offer their advice on how you can travel the world together while earning money living that travel lifestyle. We're your hosts, Mike Pletz and Natalie. Tune in every Wednesday as we interview couples living a travel lifestyle, get relationship advice about being on the road with your significant other, and listen how others are struggling and thriving in their personal and business lives while traveling the world. This is your one-stop podcast for travel, relationship, and business goals in this episode we are joined by derek and mike of robe trotting they are a couple from the states that relocated to copenhagen for work and have not looked back since we talk with them about their love for copenhagen relocating to a new country and how they work to establish robe trotting so without further ado here's our interview with derek and mike Today we are joined by Derek and Mike of Robe Trotting. They're an American travel couple living in Copenhagen. They document their experiences being an expat while also traveling the world. You can follow them online at robetrotting.com. That's robe-trotting.com. Hello, Derek and Mike, and welcome to the show. Hey, Mike. How's it going? Hello. Glad to be here. Thanks so much for taking the time out of your day to join us here today. And I just want to get started to get to know a little bit more about the two of you. Can you give our audience a little rundown about your backgrounds and maybe how you guys met? Sure. So we've been together for four and a half years, almost five years now. Uh, we met living in Philadelphia. So Derek's a native of Philadelphia. I grew up in uh, upstate New York and moved to Philly basically for college and stayed as an adult. Um, we moved to Copenhagen about two and a half years ago. It was completely unexpected. Uh, literally, uh, my boss came to my desk on a Friday afternoon and asked if I could be in Copenhagen on Monday. Um, I was supposed to be here for a week and a half, and now we're up to two and a half years and counting. So no, nothing, nothing planned, and suddenly we're here and getting to experience all this. Incredible. And is uh, is Copenhagen a place that you guys have fallen in love with? Is that why you've stayed there for two and a half years or mostly solely for work? <laughs> yeah, we absolutely love it here. Um, it, like Mike said, it wasn't quite one week and then two and a half years. But along the way, there have been a few professional milestones where we had, uh, well, Mike, uh, had a, a six-month contract originally to see if we liked it and if it was a good match. And, of course, we stayed at that point. Then it was a renewal for two years. And uh, just recently, that expired, and then we decided, okay, this is – like we're not we're not ready to go home. <laughs> nice. So I want to start talking about more of your travels together. And when we start talking about travel, I like to ask a simple two-word question to all the couples that come on our show. It's a simple question, but it has such a complex response. And that is, why travel? Why do you two love to travel? I, I think we've always had a natural curiosity. One of the first trips we had together you know it was just in the u.s we went from from philly boston to see a baseball game and um it, it was fun to plan together it was one thing that kind of brought us closer together and i think you learn a lot about somebody especially in a dating situation that is relatively new when you get to travel with them have a long period of time in transit somewhere whether it's a plane or a train and um you know spending some time exploring a city that you haven't been to uh 
So it's always kind of been in in the blood of our relationship, I guess you could say, mm-hmm. um, to have that curiosity and enjoy doing it. Everything from the planning to the execution to um, yeah, reminiscing over memories that we've had traveling. Mm-hmm. I think we're both we're both natural explorers. We realized that very early in our our relationship, whether it was just exploring a a new restaurant in Philadelphia or. Um, or an event going around. We both enjoy being around people and experiencing life with other people. So I think travel is just a natural extension and getting to, to move to Copenhagen has just expanded that so much because our access to, to new and different places and culture is much easier from here than it would have been from the U.S. for a variety of reasons. And I think it's interesting, too, just to piggyback on that. Uh, I think travel lends itself as an extension of basically any interest that you already have. So like I said, one of the first things we did together was go to a different city to watch sports where we both like sports. We also both like history. So now that we live in Europe, we get to go to a lot of uh, cities and sites and battlefields and things that we haven't been to before because we have that interest. Uh, So whether your interest is art or pop culture, there's things that you can find and, and, uh, things you can find in your travels to enhance the things that you're already interested in. Absolutely. And did you two both have a love of travel or a passion for travel coming into the relationship? Or did one of you influence the other one a little bit more? Like, how did this love of travel evolve in your lives? I think it evolved in a couple different ways. So I'm, I'm probably a little bit more of an experienced traveler than, than Derek was. Um, in that I had gone traveling for, for leisure to, to Europe and, uh, several times. My brother lived in New Zealand for a time, so getting to visit him there, uh, having some international travel for work. So I think I had a little more experience coming in, but I'd say your travel was more concentrated in going to places that you liked over and over again, but it's not like Derek was a homebody beforehand. Yeah, and I think one thing that was enhanced by a relationship <clears throat> is that for me, it gave me more of a reason to say, okay, now I have somebody to do this with. And like I said, it, it was an extension of things that we already enjoyed doing in Philadelphia that we could then go and and say, okay, we've been to a tapas restaurant in Philadelphia, but what if we did a tapas tour in Barcelona? And it, it lends itself to um, to that. So I think it's something that, yeah, Mike was maybe a little more, experience in in traveling but suddenly uh, my travel excuse of not having anyone to go somewhere with (laughs) was gone once we uh, you know once we started dating now when you were moving to Copenhagen was this a difficult move together Uh, did it require some persuasion at all or was this something that when you got the news it was like yeah let's go I didn't think it it didn't take very much persuasion. No. And I think as as Derek said, because of the the way it was set up that it was was graduated, that we could come here for six months and if we didn't like it, then we could go back to the US. And Derek's former job had some flexibility to take a leave of absence where we had maybe more flexibility than other couples may have if they were suddenly given the opportunity and had to fully uproot. And we, we got to, to move here while still being able to have a, a return ticket home if we wanted it, which kind of alleviated a lot of the stress because it meant that we could focus on seeing if we liked it here and not being afraid of what happens if we don't. Yeah, so having a, an, 
having an escape plan <laughs> or an emergency button did help, but yeah. it was definitely still stressful. Now, oh, yeah. I, we basically, once we, uh, so Mike came over and they immediately asked him, uh, once he was in Copenhagen, can you stay for a few extra weeks? And again, this wasn't to move over here. It was just for that one trip. Can you stay for three weeks instead of one week? And he said, sure, that's fine. But the time butted up against the Thanksgiving holiday in the States. So he asked me about it and I said, you know, I was already looking at flights to maybe come over for Thanksgiving. Why don't we just make a little European holiday out of this? And, you know, I'll come see Copenhagen. You've already got the company hotel room. We, you know, we can make it a little cheaper. Um, so that's what we did. And I left having seen Copenhagen, not thinking I would move here. And, <laughs> And um, then Mike called me the day before he was supposed to fly back to the States and told me, um, hey, I just left my boss's house. We had a fantastic dinner. Uh, we had a lot of wine. And he said, what do you think about moving to Copenhagen? You and Derek together for six months, nine months and see if you like it. And I was like, well, let's talk about this in person. But we really didn't talk about it very long. I mean, I think the next day when you got back to the States, we we were ready to pull the trigger. Um, I don't think, I think we were still in a little bit of awe, a little bit of disbelief. It was very surreal, but we were ready to do it. Yeah. And I think that's, the, and I think that's something that kind of summarizes us kind of as a travel couple is we, we are a little bit kind of impromptu and spur of the moment sometimes. Yeah. And it's funny when, when you look at the, the kind of the foibles and failures we've had as travelers, it's usually been cases where we had a long time to plan and something fell. And the last minute things that we just jump on and do are the, the most successful trips in some cases that we've had. Yeah. Awesome. Amazing. And getting into your travels a little bit more, where were the two of you last? We know you're in Copenhagen right now, but where are you going to travel to next? Uh, so the last trip that we had um, was our big summer holiday. Uh, we actually went to uh, Africa and did a safari. Uh, we started in Johannesburg and we went through Botswana and we finished in uh, Zimbabwe in Victoria Falls. So that was our last big trip. Yeah. And our next one, so uh, in about a week and a half, we'll head to, to Spain and we'll have a, a short week, uh, beach weekend there. So since our, our travels were a little bit more inland uh, this summer, we wanted one last chance for a good beach holiday weekend. So we'll take that uh, next weekend. Amazing. And your travels is starting in South Africa to Botswana and into Zimbabwe. How did you get from one country to another? Did you rent a car and do it that way? Or how did you go about that? So we were a little more... Uh, I, I, now, I think it was adventurous, but we were a little uh, less adventurous and a little gun shy to try to do it on our own. So we actually did a group tour, which was the first time we have done one together. Yeah. Um, so we found a safari tour and we were able to analyze and compare a few different uh, a few different routes and uh, camping conditions and things like that. And uh, we found the one that, that seemed to make the most sense for us, and, and we and we went that route. Nice. And did you were you uh, happy with your your choice to do the group tour? Was there any like uh, downsides to it or things that surprised you about it? No, I, I think for for this kind of trip, especially the the group setting is is the perfect way to go. 
Um, you know, one for, for a kind of a, an African safari adventure. You're better off leaving it to the professionals and trying to do it yourselves, especially for a first go like this one for us. But being able to share in a trip like this with other people, especially the, the, the trip we chose was camping based. So we were in tents nearly every night for the, the eight day safari. Um, having that camaraderie that comes with being around a campfire together, traveling together. Early um, mornings. Right, super early mornings <laughs> to, to go see the animals at sunrise. Uh, those were all things I think were enhanced by having a group trip. Um, then if we were to do it just as two of us or if we were to do a, a tour that was more kind of individual based, that was just people together on a bus. This was this was designed to be 18 of us traveling together, getting to know each other and, and, and making new friendships. Yeah, I think a couple other reasons of the group experience was nice is uh, for a safari particularly is uh, one, we got to share photographs. So, of course, you know, you're in a, a, a big Jeep and everybody's taking photos from different directions, but you've got additional eyes looking for animals. And you've and in the end, we were able to all share the, the pictures that we took and 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 uh, and send them to each other. And mo- most importantly, it also means you can steal the photos from the person with the most expensive photo equipment. <laughs> exactly. Thank you, James. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And um, and I think the second thing is that um, with doing a group tour is that we were able to meet a lot of other people from around the world. So uh, kind of thinking ahead of where we may decide to go, it was nice to be able to compare notes with some other travelers yes. and to also have some people that we could potentially link up with or stay with or even travel with again. So um, it, it was a, it was a good way to go, I think. Yeah. Nice, very nice. And I want to get into some more experiences that you two have had when you're when you're on the road. You know, travel brings a lot of different types of experiences, the good, the bad, the ugly. And I want to get into those with you two, starting with what has been the most rewarding travel experience together? Maybe that experience that really opened up your eyes to traveling and traveling with one another, or maybe just a simple, uh, you know, interaction with a local that really just blew you away and made you fall in love with the place. Do you have an experience like that you'd want to share? Yes, there's a few. Um, <clears throat> I think some of my favorite times are when our expectations of a place are really low and we end up getting blown away. Um, or maybe where we're almost anticipating some challenges that are totally unfounded and, and, and don't pan out. So one of those um, I would say is when we went to St. Petersburg, Russia uh, as a, a gay couple and, you know, members of the LGBT community in Russia, you know, we hear our face different issues um and we really didn't know what to expect and uh but it was a country that we wanted to go any go to anyway and we don't feel that that should deter us from from visiting countries that have have different laws about lgbt people um i know that could be a little controversial for other people in the community but we think that that change should come from within the country instead of being imposed on 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 the the people um, based on our views. Um, it was phenomenal, though, and we were treated extremely well. People that we met in Russia, you know, we weren't sure if it would be a warm welcome, if it would be uh, they would have 
avoided us because we were American uh, or a number of things, you know, that we were a little bit on edge going there. And the, the local people in St. Petersburg were often coming out to us and saying, oh, can we practice English with you? Can we talk to you about where you're from? What do you think of St. Petersburg? Oh, tell everybody that it's great here. It's not what you see on the news. And to see also that they actually do have a very active LGBT community there. Um, and there are gay spaces in St. Petersburg that have, of course, uh, you know, very extreme security, but, um, you know, that they protect their community. It, it was, it, it really defied what our expectations were. So I love when that happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's incredible to hear for sure. And to hear that uh, from St. Peters, Petersburg, that you had such a, an incredible experience that just, uh, you know, you may not have been expecting something like that going into it is always uh, a nice thing to, to be welcomed into for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I say one other is, is maybe the ability to share some travels with, with family. Um, I, I know it's not quite on the couple angle, but um, I think some of our favorite times have been when, uh, you know, I my mom got her passport for the first time to come visit us in Denmark. So things that I never thought would happen in in, the, in my life was going to, you know, visit parts of Europe with, with my mom. And one time we actually even tracked down relatives that we had in Poland. Um, that was, that was really, really interesting. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, sharing those travel experiences, it's always nice to be around the people that you love and sharing those memories together. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So now I want to turn this into another direction and ask you guys about maybe the most awkward or the most hilarious or the most embarrassing travel story that you two have ever been through. We know we, we all have them when we travel and, uh, it, it, they might be just cringy at, in the time, but you can look back at them and you can really laugh. Do you have any of those memories you'd want to share? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and there's one that's on top of the list. Uh, so we were in Greece last summer and, and we had a, this was a bit of a crazy trip because we were matching up a timeline to meet up with one of our good friends from the U.S. and his parents who are, are from Greece and go there every, back every summer. So we had a, it was a complex trip that we were organizing in bits and pieces over the course of it. But one of the last stretches was we were going to finish up just the two of us in Mykonos and then fly in one of the last flights out late in the evening back to Athens and then spend a couple days in Athens before heading back home. So in Mykonos, obviously a little bit of a party town. We were, we were having some adult beverages with friends that we had made over the course of, of being on the island. And one of the things in Mykonos is there's only something like 30 or 40 cabs for the whole island. And the buses stop running at about 8 o'clock at night. Well, unfortunately, we lost track of time and we got to the bus stop after the last bus left. And now we're crapping ourselves saying, how the heck are we going to get a taxi to get to the airport? Oh, my God, we're going to be stuck here. What do we do? But again, we get lucky, as we often do. And suddenly we find two Spanish older ladies who were going to the airport as well and just jump into the cab with them using our crappy Spanish to to hop in. The funny thing is the the cab driver 
did not speak Spanish. He only spoke Greek and English. We spoke a little bit of Spanish and obviously English. So they kind of needed us as much as we needed them. <laughs> but we made this we made this relationship work. <laughs> so we thought everything was good. We get to the airport. We're in there on time. Get on the plane. We get to Athens. And then we do what we always do when we land on the ground, which is go into our emails and find out exactly where the hotel was that we reserved in Athens. So I go on my Gmail account. I can't find anything. Ask Derek to go on his Gmail account. And what did you find? Nothing. Neither of us booked a hotel for Athens. So we had two nights left of this, you know, two-week trip. And it was piecemeal together. And in in all of the craziness, like Mike booked the ferries. I booked the hotel in Santorini and Mykonos. And then our friend's parents booked our first couple of ferries and the Airbnb that we had when we arrived in Athens. In the whole mix-up, neither of us booked a hotel in Athens before we flew back to Copenhagen. So now we're sitting in the Athens airport at 1 o'clock in the morning. A little tipsy. A little, t- a lot tipsy. Wondering what, where the heck we're going to sleep tonight. So I go on to Booking.com, and the hard part is, especially in a place like Greece and much of Southern Europe, there aren't any larger hotel chains that have front desks that are staffed 24-7. So I had to basically try to find a Western hotel with rooms available in late July in Athens that we could go to at 2 o'clock in the morning. And sure enough, we showed up and gave our name, and he said, no, we've got all of our check-ins for the night. He said, just check online because this was booked 25 minutes ago. Got our room. <laughs> got our room. It's a nice place to stay. I'd yeah. recommend it, actually. It's a good location, clean place. It's a good find. Oh. Very well, nice. It's, it's always nice when it works out in the end, isn't it? Yeah, it was. But our biggest, probably most complex trip to date at um, that point. And <laughs> but, but again, one of those Almost ones, got out of it. One, but once again, something we, we'd been planning for months and months and months ahead of time, and we screwed ourselves. But... <laughs> Plan it 25 minutes before you have to be at the hotel and you're totally okay. We have one other bad, I don't know, I don't know how much time you have, but we have one other really bad experience yeah. too, which is actually on the safari that we did. Um, you know, I, of course, we, we plan to go to, you know, the safari in advance. We know that it's visa-free entry for American citizens and that all we get is a passport stamp in South Africa, Botswana, and uh, Zimbabwe, the three countries we're going to. Well, my passport was was pretty full, and but I, to to my knowledge, had four or five empty pages, and I thought I'd be good. I was fine getting into South Africa when we arrived, and throughout the trip, Botswana, Zimbabwe. Then we get to the airport in Victoria Falls, and the person checking us in says. I'm sorry, uh, Mr. Derek, you're not going to be able to go to South Africa today. I thought he was kidding, um, or I thought maybe it's a yeah, shakedown. It was a, yeah, I thought maybe uh, you know my friend Mr. Benjamin Franklin on the twenty dollar bill would get me onto the plane, but no, there was no way. Um, so the, the the problem was, I thought that I had. You know, these four or five pages and I'd be good. I got a couple stamps along the way that were single stamps on one page. So that took a little bit. But South Africa has a requirement where even though it is visa free entry for U.S. citizens, they require that you have two consecutive pages that are blank in your passport. 
And to make it more complicated, the last four, three or four pages in a U.S. passport has a distinction that says um, it doesn't say visas. It says endorsements, uh, endorsements on 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 the pages. And those don't count. <laughs> so even though I have stamps, I even have U.S. Uh, passport stamps on those pages and they've been used before. They wouldn't count that. So I wasn't allowed to go in back into South Africa. So there we are thinking that we're getting on a plane to Cape Town for a few days there, and I'm not allowed to go. <laughs> yeah, so that was a mess. So, of course, we got it sorted. Um, they were super helpful with the with the airline trying to reroute us. They ended up recommending that we go through the original um, airline that we flew to South Africa on and get rerouted. The hotel was incredibly accommodating and they gave us um, rooms for the next few nights. It actually worked out because we got to spend a little extra time in Victoria Falls, which was nice. Um, but yeah, the time I was denied entry into yeah. South Africa and couldn't even get on the plane was um, very interesting to say the <laughs> least. <laughs> for sure. learned, always check passport. the passport requirements. Yeah. Even if it's visa-free entry, there may be something that you don't have. Yeah, and that always worries me. That and um, also the expiry date being uh, less than six, six months. Six months. Yeah, yes. those are two things that always I always double-check again and again when I get to the airport. Yeah, and I just thought, you know what, three stamps, four stamps, I'll be okay. But, no, no, didn't. Yeah. <laughs> This is also where we thought we were experienced travelers, and yeah. we got a little bit, we got a little bit mistake. Yeah, we got a little bit arrogant, thinking, ah, everything is fine. We travel all over the place, no big deal, and, and we got burned. Well, yeah. that's just the thing with travel. There's just so many things that you need to be on top of, and it it, it can be stressful, and it can be, you know, all the all these situations that come up. You learn from them, but they're they're inevitable to happen eventually, and. Which brings me to my next type of experience, and maybe that last one would kind of double up uh, for this type of experience, but maybe your worst experience that you've ever had traveling, uh, or, or a really bad experience that maybe didn't end as well as, you know, the, the last two stories that you've told. Yeah, that was a... That's right, and the good thing is that, that was everything, a bad one. <laughs> everything's ended with a happy ending. Sure. You know, you know, maybe the, the, the credit card got a little more taxed because of because of it along the way. Um, you know, knock on wood, we've been fortunate. We haven't had any, any major injuries or major issues we've, where we've had delays on stuff. It hasn't been a huge deal. I mean, one of our, our biggest airline issues was getting our bags lost, but it was last year when we were flying back to the U.S. So we could just go to Walmart and stock up on everything we needed until our bag showed up a week later. So it wasn't even like we had a vacation ruined because we were just going back to be with family and, and it wasn't as big of a deal. So I'd say that, uh, you know, other than the, the, the sinking feeling of wondering how the heck you're ever going to get out of Zimbabwe when between you, you only have $20 U.S. in your pocket and the ATMs haven't worked in the last 10 years. That was probably the most depressing moment uh, that, that we've had. Yeah. But again, every that was scary. That's, that, that, that was, honestly, that, that was the scariest that I felt was, oh, my God, how are we going to, to get out of this? Right. The, the other thing I could do is go to the embassy in Harare and that I wouldn't have been able to get into. This, this happened on a Saturday. I wouldn't have been able to even go there until a Monday, provided I could get a flight there. 
get everything I needed in one visit and get out of that. Yeah, it, it was, that, was, <laughs> that was bad. That was that a was, really bad hour of our lives. Oh, <laughs> hour, hour generous. It was a little bit longer. <laughs> so with with all these different experiences, you know, it it puts your relationship through some uh, some interesting times, and it really shows, you know, how how you guys are able to come together and problem solve or, or, you know, get past these things together with all these things that have happened. How do you feel traveling has affected your relationship together? Oh, I think it's enhanced our relationship in, in, a, in a really beautiful way. And I, I think, you know, obviously there's times like that where you're tested and you have to rely on each other. And, um, you know, you kind of realize, how special the the other person is. Uh, I think there's also times where um, your experiences are are better because you're with somebody else that shapes them and maybe sees things that you didn't get out of the experience or can can offer a different perspective or insight or maybe even is interested in something and sort of drags you along to a museum or to uh, to, I don't know, any kind of, uh, event while you're traveling and, um, you wouldn't have done by, wouldn't have done on your own or wouldn't have done by yourself. And, and it really makes it, uh, an even better experience for you. And then I, I think going back, I think how it really strengthens at least us as a couple, and I'm sure it can be for other people too, is that it's, it's through adversity that I think relationships grow, that, that you need to have some, some shared experience of a little bit of difficulty or whatever. And that's what, what builds on. And, and when you travel, as we, we told other stories, you know, there's a million opportunities for a mistake, whether it is, you know, getting lost in a city and trying to figure out how to get where you're going next, whether it is, um, having to try to figure out how to navigate a public transit system or realizing that your passport is getting rejected from traveling. Now, these are the things that can strengthen a relationship because you see another person in a moment of weakness, you support each other, you grow from that, and you get to experience this in a much more often when you're traveling than you do in your daily life where things just work and you're able to, to navigate on a normal basis. So it really, I mean, as, as Derek said before, our, our first trip to Boston was uh, a classic relationship test. You know, are we compatible together? Can we do this together? And, and we passed. And every time we travel, it exposes us to, to new places where we have these little mini failures. And I think that really strengthens a couple. And it definitely strengthens us. Yeah. Because in all these moments, and both of us have made plenty of mistakes. I mean, it was my responsibility to get the, the hotel room for Athens. And, you know, you should have checked your passport. But we weren't sitting there in these moments yelling at each other. How could you do that? How could you be so stupid? Instead, it was, how do we make this happen? How do we make this work? How do we build the other person up? Because you already know that they feel so low that that, that happened. Absolutely. And I love that that mindset of... You know, it, it doesn't make sense to uh, obviously that person that, you know, failed or, or just did just, you know, overlooked something. Obviously, they feel bad already. It doesn't make sense to make them feel any worse. Instead, work together to get past it and, and continue on. I, I love that mindset. And uh, I love your your mindset on, on your whole relationship as a whole in, in regards to travel and everything that uh, traveling has done in your relationship to help build it up. Yeah, definitely. Thanks. Man. And 
obviously with traveling, there's a lot that goes into it. I mean, you guys mentioned before uh, booking booking the flight, booking the accommodation, and planning out your trip. It's a lot, and, and it, it's a lot to tackle. But when planning a trip, do you guys kind of split up roles in in uh, you know who takes care of what, or do you guys kind of come together and and book everything together? How do you tackle this sort of uh, tra- travel planning thing? Yeah, well, we save a lot of time by neither of us booking a hotel room. Yeah, a lot yeah just it, it goes so fast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I mean, I think I think we split the load. I mean, um, I think each each trip is a little bit different for us. So I travel quite a bit for my job. So sometimes it's matching up some of my business travel with places that Derek can join. Um, other cases, it's impromptu travel that we're just like we should go somewhere, or I found this flight. Let's go figure it out. But I think. If there's a general rule of thumb, I'd say that um, I'm probably a little bit more of the the list maker. So once we think about a place coming up and seeing different places that are out there, but I'm definitely not the trigger puller because I will sit and, and worry about what's the best option or what town should we go to or which flight should we take to, to the point where Derek finally gets uh, assertive and, and, and says, we're booking this now. And we've had a couple of cases where we booked four months of travel uh, sitting on the couch at one time because it was just time to get all of it done and, yeah. and finish our business. It's, it's funny you mentioned your comparisons uh, literally that trip to Boston that we keep bringing bring up that uh, I remember Mike and I discussing it and then the next day he sends me this complex spreadsheet and pivot table of three different options for us to get there whether we fly take the train or drive and it included like uh, wear and tear on the car would cost a certain amount of money I mean it was a complete cost analysis that um, well, he's very good at his job, and he brings it to <laughs> he brings a sense of it to to our travel planning too. Where me sometimes I'm like, no, let's just book this flight before it goes up in price, or that flight isn't available. You know, Mike is a little hesitant, and I'm usually the one that's um, uh, you know can, can be a little more okay. We need we need to make a decision. Let's decide on. Uh, let's decide if we're either going to do it or not do it. And if we are going to do it, then let's sit down. Let's spend, you know, 90 minutes tonight booking a flight, booking a hotel, <laughs> and um, and then I kind of, you know, if we at least get those accomplished, I also like to go back and then decide. Okay, maybe there's a tour we want to do, and I'll present some options that way. Or, you know, when we travel, um, depending on where we're going, if it's part of the experience to maybe book a restaurant somewhere um, to to kind of add those flourishes. Now, you mentioned this earlier in in the interview about going to uh, Russia. But being a gay couple, there's, you know, some places that aren't as friendly or, or welcoming. Does that kind of get factored into researching the next, next destination that you go to? Does that kind of, I know you said earlier that it, you don't, never wanted to deter you away from visiting a place that you really want to go to. But does that kind of get factored in when uh, researching what to do in a specific country or, uh, you know, researching that country's customs or anything like that? Yeah, I think it does on a, it does on a small scale. And, uh, you know, we've actually, um, even touched on this in our blog a little bit where, it, you know, we, we strongly feel that it, that shouldn't keep us from from seeing places because, 
you know, if these governments are, are truly homophobic, which I don't think is always the case, usually they're outdated laws. I mean, that law existed in, in Texas not too long ago, right? So um, sometimes these are outdated laws or customs from colonial times or things like that. Um, but sometimes it may involve us making some changes in our behavior. Um, some places that you go to, whether they're countries or, um, you know, for example, uh, I, I did a trip to India and I was in Pushkar. You, men and women and heterosexual couples all have to alter their behavior in that city because it's holy. Um, you know, different. Uh, if you're going to be that resistant to travel somewhere because you have to change the way that you present yourself a little bit, um, for me personally, I'm willing to, and I think I think Mike, you as well, we're willing to to roll with things. Part of travel is being adaptable. And um, sure, there are things you can do out of protest and say, I don't want to spend my money in a government that restricts the rights of the people that live there. However, there may be things with the American government that we disagree with or with um, even more more liberal countries where we're happy to travel there. And, um, you know, sure, there's things that we look out for. As an LGBT couple, we may be more on edge in certain places, but um, changing our behavior a little bit, not, uh, you know, public displays of affection are much different even in Europe than, um, uh, well, they are very different in Europe than they are in, in the U.S., um, where even there it tends to be more conservative for heterosexual couples or members of the LGBT community in, uh, you know, most, uh, parts of the Middle East, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be tolerated with public displays of affection of any kind. Um, so it's just, it's something that we're willing to adapt to, but sure. We're definitely mindful of that when we do, uh, travel planning and, you know, that those may be countries where we do a little more research on uh, embassy locations and things like that, just in case there would be any incident. But we've been pretty lucky to not have anything like that. And at the same time, I think we do want to you know, we do want to learn a little bit about what the, the LGBT community or gay community is like in these places we travel. So. You know, we do make a point. We, we've been to gay bars in Istanbul and St. Petersburg and Kiev. Um, so it's, it's, it's something that we do still try to, to understand what life is like in these areas. And we've had tremendous experiences. I think Derek mentioned in, when we were in St. Petersburg, I mean, it was one of the, the most fun nights that we've had in a, in a bar or a club was in the, the, the one in St. Petersburg where you could feel a sense of freedom for people yeah. where they, that they don't get in their daily life and a joy of getting these, these four or five hours at the club that somebody in Copenhagen doesn't feel the same way because they can do it anytime they want. Yeah. So it's been an interesting insight and then to, to talk to people and get a feel at a human level of just what life is like, not even what gay life is like, but just what life is like in a place. That That's the illuminating stuff that, that really is rewarding for us as we especially move away from, from more Western cultures that are familiar to us. Absolutely. And, and great advice about, you know, doing the research and, and what you should be looking for uh, when visiting these places. And do you have any more advice uh, for a couple 
maybe it's their first trip together or uh, advice in terms of their relationship and travel and what they should be working towards when they're traveling as a, as a couple and, you know, working on their relationship? Yeah, I think one of the, the main recommendations I would say is that if you're when you're traveling as a couple, it can be both a strength and a weakness. And what I mean by that is that you can use traveling as a couple as a strength to be able to experience other people and, and other things because you know you have somebody next to you who you trust. So you're willing to put yourself out there to to try the other dish that you maybe you wouldn't if you were on your own or go talk to that person and strike up a conversation because you know that if it fails, you can still go back and, and talk to, to your partner you're traveling with. But at the same time, I think it's important if you're, when you're traveling as a couple to be not to not be afraid to have a little solo time as well. You know, if, if, if one of you is getting a little bit run down and wants to go back to the hotel and have a, have a nap, but the other person doesn't, it's okay to say, you know what, why don't you rest here and I go take a couple hours out and go explore maybe this one thing that I was interested in but wasn't that high on your list. That you can take advantage of being able to, again, use that strength as being a couple to still be able to experience things that you want to do on your own. Excellent advice. And I want to turn this conversation towards what you guys have got going online with rope trotting and everything involved with that, starting with where did that name come from? Where does rope <laughs> trotting come from? Yeah, it's um, <laughs> doesn't uh, yeah, it's not easily explained just in the title. So um, it all kind of started uh, because. It, it started for me. I, I was sending like Snapchats like in my robe and just I, I really enjoyed I got a robe for Christmas like right before we moved to Copenhagen. And I think I even wore it to a party once uh, just as a joke, as a joke. But my friends were like, oh, just just come over. We're all hanging out. And I was like, I don't really feel like it. And he was like, you can wear your robe. I was like, OK, like I will. And <laughs> And it just became where I started then taking like Instagram pictures uh, at at various places, uh, uh, you know, in in Berlin uh, or uh, at a castle in Denmark in in my robe. And it just sort of was like a haha gimmicky kind of thing. Um, but also getting back at my friends for always making fun of me for wearing a robe um, around the house. They're great though, and. Um, and then it sort of like symbolized something more. And so with the name of the blog, it just kind of evolved into the fact that, yes, we do get to go and living in, in Europe enables us the ability to travel a bit more than we did when we were in the U.S. Uh, just because of proximity, but also uh, sort of a different attitude on, on vacation and holiday time here. <clears throat> so that being an expat didn't mean just all of the traveling around, but it also, uh, there's a lot of everyday life that is, is different and, um, living abroad has a lot of challenges and it's not just sitting around in your robe all the time. Um, <laughs> so it's a little meta, I guess, but that's sort of where, where it all evolved from. <laughs> I love the story behind the robe and uh, in naming your blog after that. Now, when did when did this all kind of come together? That I know you mentioned that you got the robe before you went to Copenhagen, but when did you decide to you know start this Instagram and then create this website? How did this all fall into place? It was actually one of our our first original visitors when we moved over here. So we had only been here a couple months at that point, and two of our friends from Philadelphia came to visit and. I was waiting to get my 
my work permit and everything here. So I couldn't even apply it to jobs at that point. And that's sort of where, you know, that whole same idea came from where it was like, well, the honeymoon's over. I don't feel like I'm on vacation in Denmark anymore, but I also can't start a life yet. And he was like, well, since you just sit around in your robe, you should maybe just go to some of these places. And he kind of inspired the, <laughs> he kind of was the one who said, why don't you go and do that? So it was in the first few months that I was here that, you know, that I started doing that and then, you know, wanted to stay on brand, of course, when we began blogging. And that sort of started just as a way for us to document a little bit of what we were doing and the adjustments that we were going through. But now it's become a really fun tool for us to kind of help people that are in the same positions and um, the expat community um, being uh, feeling like we're a bigger part of it. And and of course, the the added benefit of, of sharing our travels and documenting our travels and hopefully inspiring some people to travel as well through uh, through those two facets of the of the blog. Absolutely, and with with a blog comes so much work, and a lot of people don't see you know everything that goes into it from writing the posts and you know the photography that you're putting up on Instagram and the social media channels that you keep up with. There, there's a lot that goes into it. Do you guys work on this together, or if you do, how do you split it up? Like, how does this all go down? Yeah, I would say I probably am the main driver of the blog, um, but it, it's awesome that we get to do it together and Mike contributes. Um, his job is uh, a bit more taxing um, and and his time is uh, a little more scarce. So uh, it's a workload that isn't evenly split, but I think we both put 100% into it. And I think like anything in a relationship, whether it's traveling or, or blogging, um, it's not necessarily that it has to be 50-50, as long as it's 100-100, meaning we're both putting 100% into it. Um, that's kind of how we how we divide it up. <laughs> awesome. And with uh, with everything that you've got going on over there at Rope Trotting, uh, what has been the the best way to kind of grow your your online presence? Has it been, you know, writing the blog posts or was it starting off with the Instagram and, and posting your concept of, you know, uh, traveling with the robe and being with the robe and and what it's evolved into now? What, what has been like your go-to things that, that has really helped to, to grow you online? Yeah. So in the beginning, it was mostly the, you know, the, the goofy pictures in front of, uh, you know, different landmarks uh, with the robe. And then it turned into um, it, we would just post, uh, you know, I would just post travel pictures. So I think I remember taking a picture. Oh, I don't know where it was. Where we, maybe we were in Barcelona. I think it was in front of like Sagrada Familia in Barcelona. And I, I didn't have the robe on. And a few people started commenting like, where's the, where's the robe? <laughs> Why don't you have the robe on, bro? And I was like, okay, I guess. A heavy flannel robe. It yeah. fits so well when you get <laughs> one like, cherry on yeah, deck exactly. with Ryanair. Exactly. So, you know, I had to start being a little more careful with, 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 with how and when I would do it. Um, so the, the robe part has been less emphasized and it's more the, the trotting and traveling part now. But that was kind of how we grew in, in mostly in the beginning. And then I would say with, um, with the blogging piece was mostly just, um, getting serious about it and, and, and creating more content. So I, I think the Instagram sort of evolved first and, and the blog was just an extension of that and being able to really delve into, 
the things that we were doing. And I, I know Instagram, even in the last couple of years, has changed a bit where people almost use that as a mini blog now. Um, so I think when I started, it was more just pictures and, you know, your 30 hashtags. But um, but now trying to to grow by by having more detailed posts and and then directing people to the blog for, you know, full um itineraries and uh and 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 really bulk information of of what we do now with everybody following you along with rope trotting what what do we have looking forward to uh with with your travels and the content that you're creating what what do you have planned for the future of rope trotting content that we have coming out coming up um will be a little bit more on um Maybe like with Greece, looking to start developing some of some of Denmark and other locations that we've been to. Yeah, I think we've we've actually been been talking about, and this hasn't uh, come to fruition yet, but kind of spinning off uh, a bit of what we do into more of um, a bigger site just on on Copenhagen because. It's funny we get a lot of questions and and asked to do collaborations on uh, maybe the best Christmas markets in Copenhagen or the best um, time of year to visit Copenhagen, uh, even best coffee shops in Copenhagen. So we really want to start developing more content that's purely on Copenhagen, but while keeping rope trotting going as um, our main travel blog. Yeah, I think one of the one of the challenges that we've been kind of working with over the, the, the two years or so that it's been going is that it started as a bit of a kind of archive of what we're doing and place to put the thoughts down and, and share things with family and friends. And then as particularly as, as Derek learned a lot more about how to, to optimize and everything, it turned into more of a how do we create content that's helpful for people? Sure. And and one of the challenges that we, we deal with is, you know, where do we want to put our energy? Is it traveling where we've been? Is it focusing on Copenhagen where we live? Is it sharing our experience as expats and, and trying to find that right voice that works for what, what we want to share, but also what we think is most helpful out there for, for people as they, they find what we have to offer. Yeah. Cause I think, you know, our, our main mission is the idea that, uh, you know, Americans just don't travel enough. And we really were late bloomers uh, in a lot of ways because our travels weren't as often as they are now that we live in Europe and have a bit of a different lifestyle. Um, and I think the European lifestyle, of course, lends itself to travel more than the American lifestyle does. I think I read something that the millions of unused vacation hours from 2018 a report came out of, of Americans just foregoing vacation hours and and going from that rat race uh no vacation <laughs> um you don't want to look bad by taking vacation uh sort of lifestyle in America to Europe where it's really embraced and it's a part of the culture um you know it I don't think that one blog is going to single-handedly change that for Americans, but a lot of our readers are in America, and we want to show that you can travel. And even if it's just something you're doing on the weekends, or don't be afraid to uh, to look poorly at work because the generations coming up into leadership professionally in, in the U.S. value travel and, and holiday and, and a better work-life balance more than they have in the past. 
closing down, closing up this interview, I want to ask you guys one last question. And with everything that you two have done together from relocating to Copenhagen to all the trips that you've done together, I'm sure there's things that you wish you would have known from the start, from from before you started this journey. So I want to ask you, what is one thing you wish you'd known that you know now that you wish you'd known at the beginning of all this? I would say for, for me, it's that you actually can travel too much. Um, so when we mentioned before that our my first contract was only six months here. So we tried to condense as many weekend trips as possible to go all over the place, thinking that, my God, we'd kick ourselves for the rest of our lives if we didn't get to go to every place we could think of while we're, we're sitting here. Uh, and able to do this. And we actually reached a little bit of a burnout point where the trips maybe weren't as rewarding as they could have been near the end because it almost was feeling like business travel rather than pleasure travel. So I think that the big lessons we've learned is, is number one, especially when you're living in a new place, give yourself time to figure out that new place. Give, your, give yourself time to be a tourist in your own town and develop your life in that town and not just focus so much on travel, travel, travel and getting on a plane. And with it, the second one is that weekend trips are really taxing compared to longer trips, like taking a week. And this is a, the, my, my coworkers make fun of me all the time because nobody in Denmark would generally take a, a weekend trip, uh, maybe once a year or twice a year for some specific purpose, the way that we do all the time to just take, okay, a three day trip to Paris, you know, leave Thursday night, come back on, on Sunday night. Um, that we've done a lot of. It's it's much more rewarding if you can go somewhere and spend a week and immerse yourself in a place and do that. And those are those are two things that I wish we knew at the beginning because it would have changed our travel habits in some ways. Um, I think to to give ourselves two things: one is more rewarding travel, but also a chance to to get deeper roots in Copenhagen earlier in our time here. Yeah, something that we sort of coined as the the travel trap that a lot of expats fall into and um yeah that was really well said <laughs> and then for me it would probably be the um south african passport requirements yes. <laughs> <laughs> excellent guys thank you so much and there you have it derek and mike sharing their stra- travel stories with you today on the to the nation's worldwide travel couple podcast i want to say a very special thank you to our guests thank you so much guys for coming on the show and sharing these stories with us Now, I just want to give you to the floor, uh, let our audience know where the people can check you out and what's the best way to reach out to you. Yeah, definitely. Um, Go to our blog, which is www.robetrotting, which is R-O-B-E hyphen T-R-O-T-T-I-N-G dot com. Um, You can find us on Instagram. I am at robetrotting and Mike is at phillymike99. Thank you to all of our listeners out there to the nations worldwide. We cannot express our appreciation enough for having you listen to today's episode. Visit us at travelcouplepodcast.com slash 72. That's this episode, episode number 72's show notes page. Learn more about everything that Derek and Mike have got going on over there at Rogue Trotting. Leave a comment on the page and let us know about your relocation to another country. Let us know how that went and any comments you have on the episode. We'll be sure to get back to you. If you 
be so kind, please subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. It really helps us get this podcast out there and into other people's ears. This is Mike Pletz and Natalie, hoping you have a wonderful adventure to the nations worldwide.